So if I didn't tune you out earlier from things I said, we'll see what happens during the message today. Nehemiah chapter number 4. We've been in Nehemiah now for a few weeks. Does, if anyone needs an, a handout, if you need a handout and didn't get one and would like one, if you'd slip your hand up, Isaiah, you want to get up and grab the Nehemiah handouts and pass those out for me. And so if you need a copy of that, you can get it. So just slip your hand up and he'll get you a copy. And uh, on the front row here as well, Nick needs one right here, Isaiah. And then back over there. Um, yeah, I see you looking, Stephanie, at the, the front page has all the verses because I don't have a Bible. Um, then Isaiah back over there, Margie and Dave need one over there. And so that's, that's actually nine. But it's the only way I get all the verses on there. Since, so if you didn't have a Bible, you can look. That's why that's there. And so, but it has to be small when you have a whole chapter to go through. Now you're thinking, he took all that time to get to this point in the message, and now he's going to preach out of a whole chapter of the Bible. Yeah, isn't it awesome? It's a wonderful thing. So let's take our Bibles, Nehemiah chapter number four. We'll dive in. And uh, if, if you got mad or didn't like some of the things I said a few minutes ago, I'm sorry for you, and I hope that you uh, change your mind about your view of the things of God. And so... I only say it because I care. Just remember that. And each of us have had to, uh, especially as things have progressed in our world, I've reevaluated in my life as a pastor what needs to be my focus. And my focus needs to be to better equip you to be what God's called you to be. I always feel like I've tried to do that, but I'm going to be more passionate about it and do more of it because I feel that's what we need today and I feel that that's what and I talk about new normal that's going to be my new normal I'm going to be more passionate on things I don't want to make it political I hear too many pastors that are too political but something that's very important is understanding what the Bible says we need to be we need to look at our world through a biblical view and so Nehemiah chapter number 4 this is an important passage of scripture I believe it can be a help to us this morning if you let it. There's a plague that's sweeping our country today. And you can call it a pandemic, you can call it an epidemic. I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about discouragement. It's a deadly disease. It's a disease that a lot of people will get. Discouragement is a big deal today. We're going to look here at this passage of Scripture here in just a moment and learn quite a bit from it. See some powerful things here in the book of Nehemiah. Anybody ever hear of Murphy's Law before? The original Murphy was an engineer who conducted experiments to test human acceleration tolerances. Unfortunately for him, he installed 16 motion sensors the wrong way, leading to the now famous quote, if anything can go wrong, it will. I guess, and when we think about there, there's some other laws that we have to blame Mr. Murphy for. Left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. Matter will be damaged in direct proportion to its value. Isn't that true? Matter will be damaged in direct proportion to its value. I think that fits for our country pretty well right now. We don't value it. And that's why we treat it the way we do. You will never find lost article until you replace it. 
everything goes wrong all at once. If everything seems to be going well, you're obviously overlooking something. As we come to Nehemiah chapter number 4, everything on the wall is going pretty well to this point. And obviously, in review, we see that Nehemiah prayed in chapter number 1. He saw, he heard about the condition of the wall. He prayed, and God stepped in. God moved the king in chapter number 2 to let him go to repair the wall, do these things. Chapter number 3, he sets everyone up, gives them spots, and the wall starts to get built. Some people do more than others. Some people are excited about it, and the wall's being built, and things are going well. Someone forgot to remind Nehemiah, though, that when everything seems to be going well, he must have overlooked something. Reminds me of a situation that took place several years ago in Maryland. A mother by the name of Edith was the mother of eight children. She came home one Saturday afternoon from her neighbor's house only to discover, discover that her five youngest children were huddled together in the living room looking real close and concentrating on something. As she slipped in behind them to see what they were doing, she couldn't believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of her five children, her five youngest children, were several baby skunks. She screamed at the top of her voice, children, run! So each child grabbed a skunk and ran to their bedroom. If anything can go wrong, it certainly will. Discouragement is plaguing America today. More than COVID, more than cancer, more than heart disease. And this outbreak can be just as deadly as any dreaded disease known to man. It's called discouragement. At least three things make it such a potential problem. First thing is this, discouragement. It's universal. No one is immune to discouragement. There's no vaccine to stop you from getting discouraged. Have you ever known someone who's been discouraged at one time or another? We all have. Have you ever been discouraged at one time or another? We all have. Not only is it universal, but it's reoccurring. Being discouraged once doesn't give you immunity to it. You can be discouraged over and over again. And in fact, you can be discouraged by the fact that you're discouraged a lot. It's universal, it's reoccurring, and guess what? It's highly contagious. Discouragement spreads by even casual contact. Social distancing doesn't stop discouragement. If I came into the pulpit this morning to discourage you, well, maybe I did discourage some of you a few minutes ago. If I did that, we could all be discouraged pretty quick. It, it spreads pretty quick. It's universal, it's reoccurring, and it's highly contagious. This morning we're going to talk about the causes and the cure for discouragement. And I believe that this could help everyone in this room this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Don't worry, we're not going to read all 23 verses. We're going to read bits and pieces from most of them. Nehemiah 4, verse number 1. But it came to pass. I told you before, one of my favorite words in all the Bible is the word but. Ephesians chapter number 2 talks about our condition in sin. 
And then verse number four says, but God who is rich in mercy. That's an awesome time in the Bible where that is used. You look in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter number four, but my God shall supply all your needs. That's another wonderful time the word is used. Joseph's brothers thought evil, but Joseph said, but God meant it for good. Another time we see the word but is used in a wonderful way. This is not one of those. Everything's going well on the wall. They're building. Things are happening. It's exciting. But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. We see enemies come along. In the work of God for Nehemiah, in the work of God for us, there's always going to be opposition. Opposition will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. And we look at this passage of Scripture, and this morning I want to focus on both the causes and the cure for discouragement. Let's begin by looking at the causes. There are a couple of external causes of discouragement. There are two main types of discouragement. One set of problems come at us from the outside, and then the other set come from within. Let's look at the external causes this morning first, because what you'll see is the people were excited to build. Even you look at verse number six, so, we built, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Things are going well. The people of God were excited, and the wall was going up. Something was happening. Getting the work started was a major achievement. To think that the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, that verse in Psalms, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king, Jerusalem, God's city, a beautiful city, a great city. They're building the wall again. They're gonna, the temple's there. It's going to be God's city once again. This is a great work they're taking under them. But where God is at work, and God was working amongst all these people, helping them get along with one another, do the work. But where God's working, the enemy's at work. Rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem was no exception to this. When people take kingdom priorities and the priorities of God seriously, Satan will stir up the agitators to block the work of God. These enemies use two forms of external forces. Number one, as we look at external forces or external causes of discouragement, the first one was ridicule. We read verse 1 and 2 just a minute ago. This is the third time in four short chapters. Chapter 1, Nehemiah wasn't even in Jerusalem yet. Chapter 2, by the middle of chapter number 2, he barely gets to Jerusalem so in a chapter and a half, Sam Ballot's already been mentioned three times. 
he didn't like the things of God. And the Bible says there that he was wroth, he had great indignation and mocked the Jews. Every time we read about Samballat, he's always attacking the work of God. He's rejecting it, he's ridiculing it. Everything that Nehemiah is trying to accomplish. Someone has said that ridicule is the language of the devil. Those who can stand bravely when shot at will collapse when they are laughed at. Satan has used ridicule for a long time and the enemies of God. Remember this story? Who's this little boy you're sending out to battle against me? You think this young man... Am I... Is this a... Am I a... Is this a joke? What's this kid going to do? And David didn't go cower and get discouraged. He said, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. And guess what? I come unto you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, the God who you're, whose armies you're defying. And this day your carcass will be fed to the fowls of the air. And all the earth's going to know that there's a God in heaven. But there's always been ridicule. If you're the Christ and could rebuild the temple in three days and you can't save yourself from the cross, ridicule. We see it here in Nehemiah chapter number four. You notice he's making a speech before the army of Samaria and, it, and he's just increasing the ridicule. You notice he says, look at these feeble Jews. The word feeble means withered and miserable. And then he asks four questions. I'll put those questions into 2020 language for you this morning. Will they restore the wall? That probably made the, Samarit, the Samarian army laugh. <laughs> Look at them. How are they going to restore this wall? How could this remnant of feeble Jews hope to build a wall? strong enough to protect them from a mighty army. Will they offer sacrifices? What's Sambal trying to say? That it takes more than prayer and worship to rebuild the city. Will they finish it in a day? Can these people get the job done? Can they bring these stones back to life, indicating that their building materials were old and damaged and there was so much rubbish around them? And something interesting, hold on to this here in verse number two. Samballat brought up this point and he said, will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which are burned? Samballat brings up the rubbish. I want you to remember that as we go deeper into this in a few minutes here. You'll notice in verse number three, after Samballat ridicules the people of God, next you see that Tobiah does the same thing. Tobiah the Ammonite, look away, says in verse number three, even that that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down the stone wall. This wall's so weak that a little fox runs on it and it's going to fall over. They were ridiculing the people of God. Do you know something, though? Archaeological excavators have excavated some of Nehemiah's wall from back in the day. And it revealed that the wall that Nehemiah and the people built was over nine feet thick. No fox was going to knock that wall down. Not even a big fox would knock that wall down. Not even Ryan and I sitting on the wall would have knocked the wall down. That wall wasn't going anywhere. The workers became the punchline of every joke, and everyone got a laugh at their expense. Tobiah hoped that his sarcasm would make the builders get discouraged. 
Friends, whenever you attempt to get involved in the work of God, you'll always face ridicule. Expect it and don't stop working. This world doesn't get it. Fine, all you church people, you go sit in your church and spread COVID to one another. But go protest all you want. They don't get it at all. You might have family members that don't get it. Why do you go to church so much? And they just don't get it. You must belong to a cult. My, your, your pastor's weird. You might say my pastor's weird, but he's not a cult leader. Although after this morning, you might say differently, but I'm not a cult leader, okay? I drink my own Kool-Aid. I don't make you drink my Kool-Aid. There is Kool-Aid in this cup, I'm being honest with you. One of the ways I've lost weight, Splenda and Kool-Aid. That's my, that's my go-to drink now, and so, instead of soda all the time. But anyways, ridicule is going to come. Not only that, but the second cause of external discouragement was repression. Look at verse 7 and 8, and this might not be, you might not be able to see this super clear, but I'm going to explain to you how you can see it here. Look at verse 7, it says, but to pass, you see, there's that word but again. This is not good for Nehemiah and the people. But it came to pass that when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. The enemies were upset. It bothered them. They were angry. They plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem. Warren Worsby says this about this passage. He says, God's people sometimes have difficulty working together, but the people of the world have no problem uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. Now, this is what we don't see. But if you realize this, Sam Ballot and the Samaritans were north of Jerusalem. Ashdod was on the west of Jerusalem. Tobiah and the Ammonites were east of Jerusalem. And the uh, Arabians and Geshem were south. God's people were surrounded by these people that were against them. It didn't just come from one direction. It was everywhere in their lives. And the workers were surrounded and lived in constant fear of being ambushed. Two external causes of discouragement, ridicule and repression. Three internal causes of discouragement. Are you ready? Look at verse number 10 with me. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. Oh, do you see? Do you notice how the people didn't talk about rubbish till Samballot mentioned it in verse number 2? Do you see how the people of God got their focus on the physical and got their eyes off the spiritual? We'll get there in a minute. I kind of jumped ahead of myself. And I would have skipped two points. We could have been out of here quicker, but we'll skip that and go back in a minute to it. Pressure forms often on the outside, but then it moves on the inside. Opposition outside the ranks leads to depression inside the ranks. We see in verse number 10, Who's the one that's getting discouraged now? Judah. This is the line of David, David's blood and veins. 
And you would think they would have had more courage and faith than the rest of the people. They were looked at as leaders, pace setters. If the tribe of Judah was bummed out, the other tribes would be discouraged as well. The first cause of internal discouragement is this, it's fatigue. They were worn out. Look at verse number 10. We read it a minute ago. There's a word used there that we don't use much in our vocabulary today for this meaning. But it says, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. So we use the word decayed and we think of like a tooth decay, things like that. But the word decay here means, it has the idea of staggering, tottering, and stumbling. They were tired. The strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed. They're worn out. They got worn out. Simply put, the workers got tired. When you are physically drained, it's easy to become discouraged at the slightest of problems. It's also interesting to note when the workers became fatigued and discouraged. Look at verse number 6. It says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The wall was over about halfway done. You start out strong, you're excited. At the end, you get close to the end, and sometimes that makes you want to finish it stronger. But in the middle, sometimes you just get to that point where you're like, I don't know if I can do it. Last week for my birthday, Joe decided to take me on a hike, and he was trying to be good to me. No, he was trying to kill me, if we're being honest this morning. So the day before my birthday, last Thursday, it's the first time I had a steak since, really since January 8th. I've lost getting close to 90 pounds now in that time. And praise the Lord, well, praise the Lord. It's all him. That's what it's been. Because I've had self-control that Brian doesn't have. Although, these fachetes, I don't know what they're trying to do to me. You had the hike, and then Maria made the other day for David's birthday these fudge-covered Oreos. Oh, wicked. Straight-up wickedness. Because they are so good. I could literally eat those all day long and gain all the weight back in about two weeks if I just had a bunch of those. But, so I ate that meal at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with Caroline. Had garlic bread. Man, had a cherry Coke. Talk about, mmm, it was good. I was, that old-time religion was alive and well in my life that day. But man, after not eating like that, I felt awful. And uh, so we went home. Next morning, I'm going to go on a hike. I didn't eat anything because I just felt awful. So we're going to go on a hike, and I thought, well, we'll, you know, let's do a, it's my birthday, let's do a hard one. Joe didn't really, I, I egged it on a little bit. So this one called Skin Suit Trail in Corona, you could look it up sometime if you want, and it's called Skin Suit because a lot of people lose their skin going up that trail. <laughs> and I learned that the hard way, and we'll, I'll explain that to you in a second, but basically you get a mile and a half in on this trail and you gain over a thousand feet of elevation very quick and some of it it was more like cliff climbing you know you needed your little thing and you got to climb no it wasn't quite that bad but almost well i got about a mile and a half into this hike and we're at this point and we just climbed the two steepest parts of the whole thing the rest wasn't even going to be that steep but i'm there and i'm like i'm going to pass out i don't have strength i felt i felt very weak and I'm thinking to myself, man, how do people do it at 70? I'm only 35. How, you know, but, no, I didn't think that. But 
I, I asked you, I said, how much further do we have? There's about seven more miles on the hike. And you had two more miles of going up another thousand feet. I didn't think I could do it. I sat down for a few minutes. My head's spinning. I thought I was going to pass out. Problem is I should have ate something, and I didn't. So it was a little discouraging, thinking that I still had so much left to go. After That was good to climb up what we did, but I was discouraged. So two thoughts came into my mind. Do I keep going and just pass out on the trail and have a helicopter come rescue me? Or die out here? And thanks a lot, Joe. I don't know if some of you paid him to do that. I don't know. And uh, I was going to leave a little message on the Internet saying make sure Joe suffers for this. But anyways, <laughs> so it was either, either keep going and pass out. That's how I felt. Or climb back down from where I've been the mile and a half and risk falling. That was the two options. And so I sat there, and Joe, I know he's thinking, we just need to go, you need to do something. And I'm sure I had him scared. I'm sure he was a little worried that day. And so I decided it would be easier, it would be better to fall than to continue on. And I did. Scraped my leg up nice, nice, and left my skin on skin suit trail. But when you're in the middle of a job, it gets, you get worn out. You look ahead and think, there's still a lot that's got to be done. It's easy to get discouraged when you're in the middle of something. You know, sometimes I look at pastoring and some days, and some days the fatigue sets in. We all have it in our lives. But I want you to understand something. Sometimes the newness wears off and things go back to boring and routine. You know, we were out of church for 12 weeks. And we're already seeing people starting to miss quite a bit. Maybe they're sick, and if they are, I'm glad you stay home, okay? But is the greatness of being back in church already wearing off on us? Because we're getting fatigued. Fatigue is real. If you're feeling fatigued, watch out. Tiredness can lead to discouragement. A great example of that would be Elijah. When he was tired, what did God do? God told him to go to sleep. He sent an angel to give him some bread, give him something to drink, and then he went back to sleep. You cannot burn the candle at both ends on a long-term basis. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to bed. I said sometimes, not all the time, okay? Make sure you remember that. Some internal causes of discouragement, fatigue, number two. Let's keep looking here. Frustration. Verse 10 there, we see they mention the rubbish there. They cannot keep building. They got discouraged because probably they had to keep moving the stuff out of the way, and it just got frustrating all the time. Hebrews 12.1 tells us the fact, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, look at this part of the verse, it says, Let's lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is for us. Hey, we need to lay aside the things weighing us down or the things that are going to trip us up in this life. Keep looking to the Lord. And you think about, I don't know what the rubbish is in your life today. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's a possession that you're holding on to. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's some sin that's been in your life too long that you need to deal with. Maybe you have a drinking problem this morning. Maybe you're involved in things that you shouldn't be involved in. Something you've been doing in secret or something else 
What we need to do is we need to lay that aside and move forward, get rid of the frustrations. Because, man, discouragement, we can be ridiculed, we can be repressed, we can be fatigued, but sometimes it's the frustration of the things we let weigh us down. We're supposed to remove those things. Man, if I'm going on a hike, we went on one as a family. We went to Mount Rubidoux a few weeks ago. I love that cross on the top of the hill there. It's a shame that someone would try to destroy it. Partway up, Matthew, I'm tired. I can't walk anymore. Dude, you weigh 30 pounds. You can walk. You're just fine. So guess who carried him? On his shoulders the rest of the way. I did. I don't suggest when you're going on a hike to add extra weight. It's just not a smart thing to do, right? Or if I'm going to go run a marathon, which I would never do, and those of you that like to run, you've got issues in your life. I would not wear this suit. How would it look? I get. Um, all right. Oh, I know I look great. That's what I'm talking about here, though. But let's. Say I'm in a marathon and I'm standing there like this. Everyone think you're a, you're you're not very bright. Because first off, you're wearing a suit coat. There's going to be some resistance there. You'd want to wear the right clothing. You wouldn't want to weigh yourself down. And the Lord says, "We're coming to battle, so great cloud witnesses. We need to lay aside those things that." hinder us those are the frustrations you know what israel should have done before they started building the wall they should have got rid of the rubbish and moved it out of the way instead of dealing with it and letting it stay there if they would have gotten it out of there it would have helped them a little bit but the frustration frustration caused discouragement how many of you ever get discouraged or get frustrated in your christian life be honest how many of you ever get do you know why you get frustrated because you do the things that you shouldn't do even though you don't want to do the, those things. So we're supposed to lay those things aside and run with patience the race that's set before us. Frustration. The third thing is this. Another cause of discouragement is fear. Fear. The enemy of the Lord's work had struck fear in the hearts of God's people and they felt like giving up. Remember what they said in verse number 10? We cannot rebuild the wall. Notice verse number 12. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. You see the fear that they had? That's amazing to me. Ten times they said it. Those most affected by fear are those who live around pessimistic people. If you want to limit the depressing thoughts that bring fear into your life, then it's best not to hang around with negative people all the time. If you want to fear less today, just turn the news off. Whoa, big one there. I talked to some people on the phone, it's like the world's ending right now. And the question I asked, how much news are you watching? And every time, they're watching a lot of news. They want to breathe fear. Look at, look at this virus. It's real. Be careful in the things you do. Those of you at a certain age, be extra careful. If you have issues in your life, take extra precautions. Be careful and be wise and not foolish in the things you do. But there's no need to fear. What does the world try to do? Push fear on you. 
It's amazing. You step foot in a church and the virus knows you're a Christian, so you're going to get the virus. But you go protest and the virus knows to stay clear of the, of the protests. It's amazing how the virus is so smart. How does it know? How does it know that? It's amazing how that works. They breathe fear. Why do you think they've been able to take so many liberties away from people? Because when you get people to fear, they will give their liberties away. Fear is a driving force behind it. One reason why people don't like our president, because he doesn't breathe fear into everyone. They want him to breathe fear like they do. Have cases gone up? Yeah, they've gone up. Why have they gone up? This is what I hear everyone. It's because of Memorial Day and all these people getting together. Memorial Day was a month ago. Give me a break. What happened two weeks ago all across the country? Just name it. You had thousands upon thousands of people in each other's face. There you go. And isn't it amazing that 65% in the state of California of all cases right now are between the age of 18 and 45? That's real brilliant. Unlike before, it was a lot of the elderly. Why are the younger ones getting it? Because they're the ones who are out there protesting. Just call it what it is. Let's shut everything down. Let's never do anything as a society ever again. They breathe fear. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Now, I'm not telling you not to be smart, but I'm also telling you not to fear at the same time. Do you realize 60% of our fears are totally unfounded? Our battle today is a spiritual battle. It's not against people. I hope you realize that. I think the statements I made earlier today, I'm not against people. Our battle is not people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil and the principalities of this earth. Our governor said the other day that according to forecasts, within one month, our hospital cases will increase to triple what they are, according to the models. Those are the same models that said 26 million Californians would have had this virus by now. The models have been bogus everywhere. It's all fear that's unfounded. We live by science and data. Shut up. (laughs) 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. Get get this. 20% of our fears are already behind us. 10% of fears are so petty they don't make any difference. 5% are real, but we can't do anything about them. And then get this, 5% of our fears are real, and we can do something about them. You add that up, that's 100% of our fears and all of that. This is the problem. When we fear, we aren't trusting. Fear is a lack of faith. Now, I'm not talking about being careful. That's not, you got I hope you're understanding what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. But God has not given his children the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 
So we see the causes of discouragement, ridicule, repression, fatigue, frustration, and we just saw fear. How do we get the cure? And we're going to finish up here in the next few minutes. You say, if you gave more time to the causes than the, than the cure, because in all honesty, the cure is pretty simple. We just need to follow what the Bible says, and you see the, the way to do it right here. Let me give these to you, and we'll be done. The cures for discouragement, number one, as we look at this, is we need to request God's help. So you saw in verse 7, 8, remember how all the people were against them? So look at Nehemiah's response. Are you ready? Look at verse number 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. In the jungles of Africa, a man was being pursued by a roaring lion. He felt like the lion was getting close. He could almost feel the hot breath on his neck, knowing his time was short. The man broke out into prayer as he ran like crazy. Oh, Lord, please make this lion a Christian. Please make him a Christian. Lord, please make him a Christian. Within seconds, he found the lion kneeling and moving his lips in an obvious prayer. Greatly relieved at the turn of events, he got close enough to hear the lion's prayer. The lion was finishing his prayer by saying, And bless, O Lord, this food which I'm about to receive. That's a true Christian right there. <laughs> Nehemiah requested God's help in chapter 1 when he heard how the wall was. In chapter 2, he had a popcorn prayer before he talked to the king. Take a look. Go back to verse number 4 and 5 of chapter 4 here. Remember how they were ridiculing them? The repression comes. Look at Nehemiah's response. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. That's quite a prayer. Now let me just give you something here. Nehemiah doesn't lecture the workers. He doesn't organize raiding parties against the enemies. He doesn't create propaganda campaigns to put a different spin on things. Here's the principle. When people talk against you, don't talk back. Talk to God. He prayed. He set a post. When the enemy started talking, Nehemiah continued to pray, and the people continued to work. We look at our world. The only hope we have today is Jesus Christ. Period. It's not about who's in the White House. It's not about who's in Sacramento. It's not about any of those things. Do you realize all the problems in our world could be solved if the hearts of men would change? That's the problem today. The heart of man. Every issue we have in our country is an issue with the heart of man. Every single one. Guns are not the problem. White people are not the problem. Old statues are not the problem. The heart of man is the problem. The only hope we have is God. How much time do you spend on your knees asking God to help us? We need to do more as the people of God. One of the things we see about Nehemiah all throughout the book, when opposition came, he prayed, and the more he prayed. 
second cure for discouragement. We're almost there. The second cure is to reorganize your priorities. In verse 13, look at what it says they did in chapter 4 here. It says, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah already organized the people in chapter 3. They had finished half of their task. Now a new situation comes about, and it required a change in organization. Get this. If the enemy is going to attack, and when he attacks, he's always going to attack the weakest place. So Nehemiah put guards in the most vulnerable spots. This served two purposes. It discouraged the enemy and it encouraged the people to deal with their fear. When we get discouraged, one of the things we need to do is reorganize our priorities. We were out of church, out of this building for 12 weeks. We've been back now. I don't even know how long we've been back. I've serious been, seriously been looking at all of our ministries and everything we do as a church. Our purpose is to please the Lord, and you see our purpose on the wall. I've been looking at, are, we, are the ministries we have fulfilling the purpose God's given us? And I'm looking at reorganizing some things. Say, Pastor, we don't need to, ch- oh, we, we need a change in our church. We need a change to do more for God. I mean, our world doesn't need a new normal. This world doesn't need a new normal. But the church, Victory Baptist Church, needs a new normal. And more, stronger, doing more of the work of God. Teaching people, getting more involved in the things of God. Doing more around us to reach people for Christ. Sometimes we've got to reorganize our priorities. When discouragement comes, our priorities a lot of times are out of whack. We're focused on the physical, not the spiritual. I'll give you an example of mine, and I know some of you are thinking pastry should be done, but it shows your priorities aren't straight. So just hold on here, just another. January 8th was the first day I started exercising. January 8th till now. I'll pull out, where's my phone at? It's in the thing here. I have an, I have an Apple watch and I have an Apple phone, and some of you are like, man, pastor, we need to not give you a raise anytime soon if you got both of those things. And uh, one of the things I like about it is it keeps track of my activity during the day. And so, like I noticed that someone that I know and that I love real dearly didn't close his rings for the first time in a long time yesterday. And, uh, but, so it's been, let's see, where is it at? 165 straight days, I've exercised at least 30 minutes and burned over 1,000 calories every day. And every day I make sure I do it. Last Sunday, Father's Day, we went and saw my dad. It was 10 o'clock at night after we got back from eating dinner. I went on a walk, so I closed my rings. Now, I read my Bible every day. I do not miss. I put my hand on the Bible. It's been a long time since I've missed a day, and I study Scripture. I do all these things, but one of the things I do extra, I read through the Bible every year. This year, I used a Bible program to do it. And in all honesty, as busy as I am with things, I was about 25 days behind. And so when you open up your Bible app, my Bible app, it shows there a streak on how many days in a row you've opened up that Bible app. Now, I read my Bible. That's not the issue here. But this is something I do above and beyond. But I started thinking, if I'm so concerned that I close an exercise ring on my phone every day, and I've done it for 165 straight days, my Bible streak is at six now. 
I think I should be more worried about having my Bible streak at 165 days than I am the exercise ring. Reorganizing your priorities. Make sure God's first in all that you do. And I believe God is, I try. There are times where I fail, don't get me wrong. But that's one area that I looked at that I got to do a better job in. Because if I get so worried about my app that I get my exercise in for the day, how about that extra Bible reading? That should get done as well. When we're discouraged, one of the things we need to do is reorganize your priorities. Now you look at your life. Now, this is not what I'm telling you to do. Oh, my marriage is a problem, so I'm going to get rid of my wife. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That's not what I said. That's not what I'm saying here. Don't get rid of your wife. How about you change your attitude? Oh, that's a good one. Maybe you get rid of the pride that's in your heart and all the contention will stop. Ooh, yeah. So I'm not telling you to change your spouse, but maybe you need to reorganize your priorities. Maybe you need to be more loving. And I know what you're thinking. That's what my spouse needs to do. Maybe if you were the spouse you should be, your spouse would be the spouse they should be. It's not my job to be concerned with the type of spouse that Caroline is to me. It's my job to make sure I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do for her. My happiness is not based on how she treats me. My happiness is based on how I treat her. If you pick up on that, you could help yourself. But maybe you need to reorganize some things. Maybe you need to quit watching so much news and spend more time in your Bible. And maybe you can do both. I'm just saying, there's some things that need to be, what Nehemiah did was, he had a good plan, but he had to just change things a little bit. And reorganize your priorities. And lastly, and we're just about done here, if you want to defeat discouragement, the third thing you got to do is remember who God is. So we read verse 13, right? Look at verse number 14. And I looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brother and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. What do we see happen here? The people were focusing on the rubbish. They needed to remember what God had promised. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to, get, to forget what God's done when things get tough. It's just a general thing. That's, do, you, do you realize the Bible says the word remember or not to forget almost 300 times? It's a key for us in the Christian life. God's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful today. Remember that he's great, he's awesome, and God is able to do more and deal with our discouragement. So when you're down, turn your attention from your discouragement to the one who can do something about it. God has been faithful, and he'll always be faithful. What we need today is we need people to quit being rubble, uh, rubble gazers and be God gazers. In 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was finished. It was the longest suspended bridge in the world at the time. It's probably not anymore, but the, I don't, maybe it still is, I don't know. 
During the first phase of the Golden Gate Bridge, 23 men fell to their deaths in the icy waters below. Murphy's Law was very evident. Things were going from bad to worse because they had very few safety devices. And so, when it was halfway completed, they stopped to figure out how to make things safer. You know what they did? They reorganized and built the largest net ever made and attached it under the area where they were working. Was it worth the time, the cost it took to do this? Well, the 10 men that didn't die, that fell, I think it was worth their lives. It saved their lives, and they finished the job in three quarters of the time because the workers no longer lived in fear. Friends, God's great net of security spans this globe. No matter where you live, no matter what you've done, no matter how discouraged you've been, he's stretching out his everlasting arms beneath us. And as a result, we can live and work freely and without fear, knowing that we're protected, knowing that we're safe, and knowing that we're secure. Discouragement can be defeated as we request his help, reorganize our priorities, and remember who he is. Father, I thank you for the time we've had this morning.